Take your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. Just want to point out to the ushers, make sure you get visitor cards to the visitors that are here before they leave. That'd be great. Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. Today, I just want to preach a message. I kind of touched this last week, but I kind of focused in on the aspect of peace last week. I thought that was a good topic for us. But today, I just want to talk generally about the blessings of justification. The blessings of justification. We've spent a lot of time discussing the, the state of mankind in relation to righteousness. We've come to the conclusion, and I hope you have as well, that there is no righteousness on earth. <laughs> there never has been. We've not been able to produce it uh, since the garden, since the fall. Uh, it's corrupt. The world is corrupt. And yet, the Lord still loved us, and somehow he wanted to reach down to us and provide a way for us to become righteous before his eyes. That's a very difficult thing. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to figure out how to do that. Uh, bring someone from a state of complete depravity to a state of standing right before their God. Especially when it's not in us at all to become that. It's something that has to be given to us. And we know that through the gospel, that's where the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith. Amen. From heaven down. And so we've looked at that. We've come to the conclusion that salvation is by Faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. Not in what you do afterwards, not in how good you behave, not in sacraments, not in doing this, not in confirmations. Had one fellow said, yeah, first thing we talked about salvation, he brought up confirmation. I says, well, that won't help you. No confirmation. Our religion is this way. Salvation is this way. All these things, we make them up, we, we devise ways that we express our faith to mankind, but that has no bearing on our salvation this way. This has to be established first. And you do that by putting your faith in what Christ has done for you on the cross of Calvary, paying for your sin completely, and then not just that, but being buried, and then three days later, being raised from the grave. You can't be saved if you don't believe in the resurrection. So we have this statement here in verse number one. It says, therefore, being justified by faith. So we've got that settled. So if you're here today and you're born again, you're saying, preacher, I'm no longer battling with the fact of, that I'm somehow involved in my salvation that somehow I've got to continue to do something to maintain my salvation, or maybe there's something I need to do actually to get my salvation. But we've come to the conclusion that if we have received Christ, we're already justified. Amen. That justified by faith is errorous tense. That's a past thing that has happened at one point in time. It's not to be repeated. It's a past decision. So justification isn't a process that God goes through as he looks at your life. It's a legal action that takes place when you put faith in his son. And so now you're justified. You, you believe that. Therefore, being justified by faith. Amen? 
Because if you don't get that settled, you can't really read the next verses and know what it's talking about. So therefore, being justified by faith, we have present possession right now. You sitting there, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good thing. There's a lot of people out there that are being taught you don't know if you got peace with God until you meet God. Well, that's a terrible way to live because I can't live face to face with God. You can't get up in the morning and say, hi, Father, how are you doing today? I'm sure glad you woke me up today because you're not face to face with him. You've still got an enmity between you and him. But if you've been justified, you can wake up every morning saying, you know what? I've got peace with him. The enmity has been removed. We're, we're okay with one another. We've been reconciled to one another. Amen? So that's through Christ and him alone. You know, a young boy visited the palace in England. I guess he called it the Buckingham Palace. And asked the soldier if he could speak to the king. The soldier firmly told the boy to move away from the gate. No compassion As he wiped his tears with his dirty little hands, a well-dressed man walked up and inquired why he was crying. The boy said, I would like to speak to the king, but the soldier will not let me in. The man took his hand and began to walk through the gate and said, don't be afraid of the soldiers. And to the boy's surprise, the soldiers all stood at attention when the man uh, walked by as he had his hand firmly in the hand of this man. He had taken the hand of the Prince of Wales, the king's son. The only way to the king is by taking the hand of Christ. The soldiers is the law. See, the soldiers just have one response. Stay away from the gate. The law to you will just tell you stay away from the gate. But only as Christ comes to you and extends his hand and you put your hand in his that you can walk through the gate and see the king. That's being justified by faith. That's having peace with God. Amen? Your life must be hid in Christ. The second thing we looked at last week a little bit was the access to grace to stand. So if you've been justified by faith, you have access to God. You don't have to worry that every time you access God, you got to make peace with him again. You're in a constant state of peace with God so that no matter where you are, no matter what time of the day it is, no matter what you've been through, you can access the grace of God. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews 10, 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with a pure water. Amen. You can draw near now before you couldn't. So right now, because you've been justified by faith, you have access. Access to the throne room of God, (laughs) to the source of grace, to the fountain itself. You can go and dip your cup in and say, I'm going to get some of that grace today and he will give it to you freely. If you come in in humility, he will give you grace. What a wonderful truth that is. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace 
that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. I feel sorry for people that don't know that they're justified because you've got no source of help. You're wondering, will God help me? Well, I'll tell you this, if you're in enmity with God and you're an enemy of God because of your sin, the only help he can give to you is first justify you. <laughs> you need to be saved. And so all these other prayers, you can't really count on that he's going to answer them until you get justified. But the moment you are justified before your God, you have access every day. And you can get that help every day. And you need it, don't you? <laughs> I need it. As a pastor, I need it. I mean, you need it. I mean, I don't know what you're facing today. You've got problems. <laughs> I know you do. I started in ministry when I was young. And... Uh, I thought that, you know, maybe there's some people in the congregation that might need help. That was my thought. And then I realized, man, everybody needs help. They're all messed up. And then I looked at myself, me too. Amen. I said, wow, do we ever need access to God? Yes. Part of what we do here is just remind ourselves the importance of going to God for help and the, the basic truth that we need to go to him all the time and draw from him if we're going to make it through this mess of a life that we're in. Amen. It says we'll, we can access this grace wherein we stand. That means we can be set in a place. We don't have to be fluid. We don't have to be like a roller coaster. You ever feel you're a roller coaster Christian and you're not really following God? Well, you need to access God's grace a little more so that he can set you in place and make you stand. He's good at that. He can do it, but he is the source of it. You're not. You know what you can do, and that's why you're like this. That's what you can do, <laughs> amen? But God can set you solidly upon the rock. He establishes your goings, amen? What a wonderful truth that is. The third thing we want to look at is rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, in this passage here, it says, and not only so in verse number three, but we glory, no, sorry, in verse number two, by whom also we have access by faith and into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, you think about this. Before you were saved, this was, your, this was what you were. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So no matter what, I would try to do down here, no matter what religion I would join, no matter how I would try to become what I need to become, I would always be short. Yeah. Yet now it says, because I'm justified, I can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Yeah. Now folks, when we're talking about hope, we're not talking about hope with a question mark there. That's the way we've grown up to know hope to be. Because we, never, we didn't know what we were counting on to bring those things to pass. Maybe it was a father that promised something and well, I hope he follows through. That's the way we learned hope. <laughs> well, the boss promised me a raise and I hope he does that. That's a question mark. But you got to remember when it comes to God, there is no question mark with hope. Amen. Hope was never meant to have a question mark with God. It always is a period. <laughs> he says when you have a hope, it's a confident expectation. It's not a question, oh, I, I hope the glory of God. No, no. He's saying, if you're justified by faith, you can rejoice in the fact 
that you will see the complete glory of God. One that has come short is now going to be basking in the complete glory of God. That seems like an impossibility, and with you it is, but with Christ, all things are possible. Amen? Oh, what a wonderful day it'll be when we'll all stand before our Father in heaven and we won't die. Even like Moses had to be put in the cleft of the rock and God had to hold his hand over his eyes. He said, hey, if I lift my eyes to my hand too soon, you'll die, Moses. I'll show you the hindermost parts of my glory. And just the hindermost parts of the glory of God caused Moses' face to shine when he went down there. He had to put a veil on. Because he was scared he was going to freak everybody out. And he would have. That's the hindermost part. You're getting the whole load. <laughs> the whole load. The glory of God, if you do a study on that in the scripture, you'll find that it means the very essence of God, the substance. It even means the weight of God. The first mention of glory is when, when uh, Laban's sons were bitter at Jacob because he kept getting the better end of the deal with the cattle. And how that even though Laban changed 10 times, he changed the wages of Jacob, it always seemed like God came in there and flipped it back to Jacob. (laughs) So by the end, Jacob had all the cattle and Laban just had weak cattle and he had nothing left. And you know what? (laughs) What's going on there with this Jacob who has taken all the glory of our father? The strength, the riches, the weight, the substance. That's the first mention of glory in the Bible. He's defining it for you. He wants you to understand when we're talking glory of God, we're talking the very weight and the riches and the substance of God himself. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now we know that in Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about how Jesus Christ is the brightness of his glory. So brightness is the part that hurts your eyes. That's the part that you see. Jesus Christ is that visible manifestation of all the glory of God to you. So when you have Christ in you, you're justified by Christ, and now you have this potential to become Christ-like. You know what you're doing? You're taking on God's glory into your life. And you're becoming more like Jesus. That's why the only way you can truly glory to God is not always just saying, oh, we got to give God glory, got to give God glory. I mean, do that. (laughs) But it's becoming Christ-like. Every time you forgive someone, you're giving God glory. Because it's not natural for you. You would have been bitter until the day you died. (laughs) But because Christ in you changed you to such a point that you allowed that offense against you you bore the 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 weight of that offense and then let the offender that's jesus and god looks down and saying that looks like my glory so you want to give glory to god it's more than just words it's your change it's what god's doing in you and that's the thing we rejoice about now we know that the bible says in first john chapter three that when he comes again We're going to see him as he is. And the Bible says, and we will be like him. In that very moment that the rapture happens, and the moment your eyes touch Jesus Christ, you know what's going to happen? 
you're automatically going to change into the likeness of Christ. You're going to carry his glory forever. See, that's what you rejoice in. <laughs> now, down here, it's hard to do that sometimes because we're so messed up sometimes. So I don't feel very much like Jesus today. <laughs> you know, I sure made a mad, bad mistake today. That sure wasn't like Jesus. And I understand. And you know what? You keep sanctifying yourself by the word of God. You keep doing everything God wants you to do so that glory can come on your life. Because it's only as that happens that you become effective in being used to win others and to reach this for Christ. You can't be a bitter man going out soul winning. That's why I don't just promote everybody to go out. What I do is I say, you know, usually I put on Wednesday and say we're going tomorrow. And you know what? Those that have it in them, those that are following Christ, I'll make you to become, they'll be there. I just want anybody to be there. Someone that isn't faithful to the of God, you're going to invite somebody to church and they come and you're not going to be there. I'm not going. You understand that? We're talking about reaching a world for Christ. We're talking about bearing the glory of our God on our lives, but not because of us, but because of him doing that work through us. And we need to stand. And we need to be consistent and grow in that glory. But the Bible says that you can rejoice in that hope. So even though down here we're struggling with it, say, preacher, I've been struggling with faithfulness, I've been struggling with this, and I say, hey, you know, join the club. <laughs> We've all been there. I mean, some of us knock some things off. We say, that's not a battle anymore. But all we're doing is on to the next thing. You're just kind of where I was or I was where you are, whatever it is. But the fact of the matter is, we're all moving in the same direction if we're right with God. And all I know at the end of this battle, <laughs> at the end of this journey, when Jesus comes again, you know, here we are. Oh, I'm better than you, preacher. And we're, we're, we're looking at this measuring stick at the bottom. And Jesus is up here. And we're comparing ourselves among ourselves, which is not worse. But the Bible says in that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, all of us are going to be poof at the same time. So there's really not much to brag about, is there? <laughs> you know, all we can really do is become more like Jesus as we go on. Keep facing the right direction, amen? The moment you turn around, backslide, the Bible says he's not pleased with you. That's the one thing that does is God, when you just turn back on the decisions you've made with him, he says, that is not what I'm looking for, because now my glory can no longer rest upon you. And even that which you have gained, you will lose. The glory that you've had will wane from your life. When you, you never are stagnant. You never stay where you are. You're either becoming more for Christ or you're becoming less. Amen. You got your salvation, praise God. This is a truth that believers know that there's much more in the future for them. <laughs> it's not just about what you're going through now. Sometimes you get so focused on all your trouble. And, oh, life is bad. No, life is great. <laughs> Real life is great. And when you start looking at what life really is, man... Life is in God, and he has it all, and it's good, and it's wonderful. The thing is, you're starting to think death, and that's your problem. Yeah. Get death out of your head, amen? You are resurrected. There is no death more, you know? So, let me move on real quick. So, we have an inheritance in heaven, and have already received that inheritance in our, in our souls by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 1.13, in whom he also trusted 
after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that means that you're not saved by just something happening by accident. You're saved when you hear the gospel. Say, well, I've never heard the gospel, then you're not saved. Well, I've always been in church. I don't care if you've been in church. If you have not heard the gospel, you cannot be saved. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, it says, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So you heard it, you believed it, and you were sealed. And notice in that passage, it's all commas, no periods. It's all one continuous flow. It's one process. It's not something that happens over days. <laughs> it happens the moment you believe. You're sealed in your heart. The Bible says you're sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Earnest is what? Down payment. When you bought a house, you put a down payment first. It might have been a thousand bucks. Might have been five thousand bucks. I don't know what it is these days. Maybe it's ten thousand to make a difference. <laughs> Amen. But all I know is that that's not the possession date. When the down payment, that is simply the earnest against the possession date. So I'm showing you that I'm earnest about this purchase. So I'm giving you a down payment, and it's saying this: if I renege on my deal, if I pull back. From what I'm doing here today, then I lose my down payment. So God's saying this. If I would back out on my promise, I lose a part of myself, the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. Which is impossible. So do you understand what that earnest really is? (laughs) That earnest is the best earnest that you'll ever get in your life. Because it's a guarantee. And it's an earnest against, it's the earnest of our inheritance. So there's more to come that God wants for us to have. And it says, until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's your possession date. Remember when you got the keys? It really wasn't yours until you got the keys. But on that very day, it's why it's always like, is it all going to work for you? Ever bought a house? It's like, Wow, is it going to come out the right time? We have the money. Da, da, da. On that date, they give you the keys. That money went into the account. Amen? The day of redemption is the day of the rapture. So what he's saying is this. I'm giving you this until I come back and pick up my purchase possession. And that's at the rapture. So, let me ask this. If you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God since the day you heard the gospel and believed, all the way until the day that the rapture happens, can you lose your son in this period? No, because then it would be God that's pulling back on his. It's a wonderful truth. (laughs) So, your justification by faith has guaranteed you a future inheritance. And it's everything the son owns. Everything the son has is yours. Whatever he has, you have. Wow, that's beautiful. Amen. We also have sonship, being adopted into God's family by regeneration by the Holy Spirit of God. So in that same sealing, a regeneration took place and we became born again. 
Romans 8.15, For ye have not received the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Remember Jesus in the, in the garden? What did he say to his father? Abba, Daddy. Daddy, I'm going through something hard here. Daddy, please help me. He says, now that you're born again, he says, you have that same spirit. Just turn up and say, Daddy. It's not, oh, God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, creator of the world. Daddy. Every morning you can wake up and say, Daddy, I need you. I'm facing something hard. And he's there. See, you're adopted. You're in his family. You're born again. You're sealed through that Holy Spirit of God that's in you. Ephesians 1.5, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, the spirit of adoption happened when you got saved. You've already received the spirit of adoption. But then the Bible talks about a fear adoption. He's saying, well, what is it, God? Am I adopted now or later? He says, both. <laughs> you now have the spirit of adoption, just like you've got the spirit as an earnest. But he says, the day that I come back to pick you up, I'm picking you up from the orphanage. You've been my child the whole time, and you've been sitting at the window every day. Lord, are you going to come back soon? Pick me up, Dad? But he's giving you the spirit whereby you can say, Abba, Father, you're crying out to him, and you're talking to him every day, but you don't see him. You're waiting for him. And he says, hey, just be comforted because the papers are already signed. You're already mine. I've just got to come and get you out of that orphanage. You ever seen that where a little a child is promised an adoption? Whenever someone would pull up with a car, they'd look out the window. That's what the rapture is. Where you're going to look up and say, Father, are you finally here for me? The redemption of the purchased possession the adoption of your children unto yourself. That's what you have. <laughs> that is guaranteed, my friend. Guaranteed. That is not something you have to hope with a question mark. That is a hope with a period. That confident expectation for everyone here that is a child of God that has been justified by faith in Christ alone. Your baptism is involved. Sorry, you're not saved. You think you got to keep on doing right to say saved? I'm sorry, you're not saved. You got to trust Christ. You got to put your faith in Him alone. That's salvation. And there's religious people that are not saved. They think they're saved, but they're not. But the thing is, they've been trying their whole life to maintain salvation. They got to come to the point where it's Christ alone. I'm alone. Amen. Amen. Glory. The next blessing I think that we have here is number four is glory and tribulations. Having a peace that was settled that salvation, having access to the throne of God and knowing we have a future purpose of being glorified through Christ changes the way you look at this world. The way you look at what's around you. See, before I understood these things, when I went through trouble, it was all about, oh, <laughs> it's just like this big hodgepodge of chances that why did I have to do this? 
Why do I have, you know, and not realizing that my heavenly father is in charge of everything that goes on in my life? And not only that, he's not doing it to destroy. He's doing it to make me better, stronger, more faithful, more useful, more, more a vessel that can glorify him on earth. If I would just that way, he says, you can glory in your tribulations. And that's hard for us to do. Because many times you look at our tribulations in ways it's like, oh, I hate this. Why did this have to happen to me? We're the victim. <laughs> That's not the way it is. Every tribulation you go through as a child of God is ordained by God. He's allowed it. And knowing that God is in control and knowing that God is good <laughs> in your mind can change everything about how you look at your life and what you're going through. Romans 5.3 says, and not only so, so he's adding, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Hold on there, Paul. Step too far. <laughs> you know? No, no. Knowing that tribulation worketh pace. What does the word tribulation mean? It means to crush. Did I hear want to be crushed today? You want to be under so much pressure that you crush and pressure? means to compress. It means to squeeze. You ever been in a situation that you can't control things? You weren't as free anymore. You can't go where you want to go. You can't be involved or eat what you want to eat. You know, you're being squeezed. I'm being crushed, Lord. Well, the Bible says you glory in that. You can boast in it. You can brag on God through it. Amen. Because we have a confident expectation of this truth, of God's glory, we can face trials in a different way. There is a purpose and plan to them. And nothing will stop God's purpose, purpose in your life through trials. Boy, it changes everything. I read an email today by a preacher. I was trying to find it this morning. I couldn't, but he was giving us uh, some of the things that happened when he went to the doctor. And he was just saying, I just want to let you know what you've been praying for. I'm giving you some specifics here because he's been asking for prayer about his health problems. And he says, we did a couple of MRIs and they found some spots on my lungs. He says, but praise the Lord. And then he said, they also found that I got a tumor in my brain. He says, you know what? God is good. Yeah. And throughout the whole email, he's just bragging on God. It's not a big deal. It's just God's plan for me. Praying. <laughs> At the end of that email, he was talking about everything he's going through, and then he said, please pray for my church. Oh, he says, I'm at church. Oh, that's probably the most genuine Christian I've seen in a long time by writing in an email. <laughs> yeah. I had a brain tumor. God, this isn't fair. And maybe you go through thoughts like that, but ultimately you shout to the point that, you know what? God is good. He, he may take my life through this, but all I know if he does, he's going to glorify himself through this if it right. But you know what? He can glorify himself by healing, bringing us through some other way. But to him, it was just like, it doesn't matter. All that I care about is giving God glory. Wow. That, my friend, is a Christian life. 
Righteous suffering will increase our potential for God's glory. That's all there's to it. In Romans 8, 18, it says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not to be worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The Apostle Paul knew it. He said, you know what? Whatever I'm going through now, it doesn't compare to what this is going to accomplish in my life when I meet the Lord. He says, I'd rather have this. Wow. But many people, it's not like that. They say, no, I'd rather just not have the suffering. And then when I meet God, I'll just say, hey, you know, I just wasn't the, the best Christian. No, sir. Don't be like that. This life we have for a very short time. It's a vapor that appears for a little time, vanisheth away. How many of you remember when you were just a little teenager, or a little, little boy or girl? <laughs> I remember that. Now I'm sitting here. Lord, what happened? <laughs> you know. And sure, we may have some life ahead of us, but you know, that time, it just keeps on ticking. And it sure doesn't seem to take long. But what we've got coming is eternity. That vapor will look so minute in comparison to everything we have with Christ after this. So don't live your life for the vapor. <laughs> live your life for the eternity. That's why over and over the Apostle Paul would say, you know, talking about eternal life and Christians, how we focus on eternal life. He say, are you saying I'm supposed to work for it? He says, no, you're supposed to live for it. Yeah. Live for it. Amen. Christ's example, Hebrews 2, verse 9, it says this. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. So in all reality, he is facing the same thing we face, of course, in a greater degree, but by the same formula. <laughs> he says, I'm tasting death by the grace of God. So that means I have to rely on the grace of God to take me through this. And he's saying, you do too. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Wow. See, in our eyes, Jesus is who he is, not only by who he is, but by what he has done. Now, if he would just simply be the eternal God of heaven, I mean, it's enough. He's God, he's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he knows all things, he's unchangeable, he's perfect, he's holy, all these things. But that that God would bring himself down to this earth and taste death through the grace of God. And then to be made perfect in our eyes through his suffering. Now we don't just have a Savior that's the God of heaven, the creator of the world, but we've got a God that has actually touched our hurts, touched our pain, touched our betrayals. He's touched everything you've gone through. And he says, I've done it all by the grace of God. He says, you do it too. He has been made perfect through his suffering. 
There is nothing missing with our Jesus Christ. (laughs) He not only knows what God is, who God is, and what God ought to be, and all the attributes of God, he understands the depth of man, the hurt of man, the pain of man, the loss of all of these things. He knows it all. He is perfect in every way to us. Amen? And I'd be happy just with a God that's always just been God. But our God became man. And in doing that, he was made perfect to me. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about the growth and the maturity who he is. Now he is a high priest that has been touched the feeling of our infirmities. Amen. That's the example we have. I don't have a whole lot more here, but there are the aspects of glory that are produced as a result of tribulation. The first one is patience. Some people say, well, I'm just not a patient person. Well, no sinner is patient. No sinner is. Patience is something that has to be learned through suffering. And so for you to say I'm still patient means you're just still not getting the message. (laughs) You're not learning what you need to through your trials. Patience is to persevere. It means to remain under. It means to bear up underneath. Endure the things or circumstances. So for you to say, I'm not patient, is to say, I'm a quitter. For you to say, I'm not patient, is for you to say, I'll, I'll back out on you. In fact, people that aren't patient, how can you trust them? Because sometimes that's all you need are people. <laughs> sometimes we go through things as a church and, you know, I'm just wondering, oh, well, how? but you know, if you're patient, you'll see it all unfold. Well, I just don't have time for this. I'm not patient, you know. But the Bible says that patience is what develops through tribulation. Perseverance. Staying underneath the load. You know what we need today is Christians that are willing to stay underneath the load. By the way, when you got saved, salvation was no guarantee that everything was going to go great. Yeah. In fact, it very much was a guarantee that you're going to have trouble. Amen. And so I'm not here to pull wool over anybody's eyes, but if you get saved, you are going to have persecution, you're going to have affliction, and have things that God allows in your life to purge you of the garbage that's still inside of you because he wants to glow himself through you. It's a trying of your faith. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the tri faith worketh patience. Worketh patience. So you know that faith needs to be tried. So I believe God, and God says, okay, let's prove it. And he puts pressure, he crushes you. You still believe God? Say, yes, Lord, I believe God. Oh, now your patience is growing. Crushes more. Still believe me? I believe you, Lord. Job was crushed by God. Job was working on his as well. And many people talk about that patience of Job. (laughs) Now you say, well, he said some pretty stupid things. Well, sure. So do you. (laughs) You know, when you go through things. uh, Catch myself saying something, yeah, that probably wasn't a good thing to say. That really goes against everything they're doing in this situation. 
So Job said some things, but he didn't. So you may say some things, you may um, some things, but the thing is this, are you going to quit? Are you going to stop? Are you going to stop trusting God? Are you going to stop believing him because of what you're going through? Are you going to stop trusting that there's a purpose for your trial and what he's trying to accomplish in your life? Because the Bible says your patience, your faith needs to be tried. It needs to be proved. And as you allow that proving to take place, your patience grows. <laughs> and your patience is your perseverance and your endurance underneath trouble and trial. He needs Christians that will stay underneath their cross. That's one of the things he said to Christians before he went up. He says, take up your cross and follow me. But today we have Christians I don't want to take up my cross, but I'll follow you, Jesus. He says, there's only one way to follow me, and that's with a cross on your back. Yeah. And that. If you're looking for a crossless Christian life, I'm sorry, you are not going to find And so he's trying to prepare you for the cross that you are trying to bear in your life. You don't have to take Jesus' cross. That was fit for one person that was the Son of God. He had to carry the sins of the whole world because of that cross. That is not yours. But your cross, you may lose a family member. Maybe people will hate you. Maybe there's jobs that you won't lose or they'll turn against you because you're standing on the faith. Do you understand that there's tests all the time whether you're going to continue on and you've already proven somewhat whether you truly are a Christian that is carrying their cross? That's what it's all about. He can only be glorified through a Christian that carries his cross. Proving. He's going to prove you. You can't escape. Says if, you're, if you're a quitter, we'll know it pretty quick. But he will put some crushing on you. will bring the pressure to your life. You have to determine in your heart, I'm going to faithful God. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to carry my cross. Amen. Don't you take your cross off. Jesus could have. He told us he could have. He says, do you think I can call 12 legions of angels right now and they would come? He, he didn't say that because he was thinking that. He was saying that to show you that he could have a way out. And do you understand that you can always find a way out of your sin? <laughs> Renounce Christ or die. There's a way out. Hey, stop talking about Jesus here. There's a way out. Just stop. But you're not carrying your cross. You understand what that means? (laughs) When we start letting the devil dictate our life, our words, the things that we do where we go, we're throwing the cross off of our back. We don't want to bear the suffering of it. And it could be many more things for you. Everybody's got a cross that is tailor-made for them. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. See, you're not going to get the blessing. Just because you went through a little trouble. You're going to get the blessing as you make it all the way to the end. And you didn't give up. You didn't quit. 
That's why you need patience. But then he adds experience. And patience, experience. What's experience? Experience is approved or tried. A proof of genuineness. A trustworthiness. Now I thought about this. Is he talking about me? Or is he talking about God? I think both. But first God. <laughs> See, when you're patient, what you're going to learn is aspects of God that you never knew before. You're going to have an experience. You're going to know God better because you stayed underneath the load than when you would have quit. So as you have patience, you add to that experience. The proving. And you say, yes, this is genuine. God did bring me through this. I hope you've already had experiences like that where you've gone through things. You stayed faithful. You said, Lord, I'm not going to quit on you. And God brought you right through. And at the end of it, you can say, Lord, it's like I know you better now. You have a greater experience with him because you know he's faithful and trustworthy. Amen. But not only that, you have a greater experience yourself. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. We don't have to give up. God can give us the strength to can on. Amen. So experience. I'll go to the last one. Hope. Hope. John Bunyan said, Hope has thick skin that will endure many a blow. It'll put on a patience as a vestment. It will wade through a sea of blood. It will endure all things if it be of the right kind for the joy that is set before it. Hence, patience is called pain of hope because it is hope that makes the soul exercise patience and long-suffering under the cross until the time comes to enjoy the crown. See, the reason why the Jews rejected Jesus wanted a Savior with a crown of gold, not thorns. They wanted Jesus that day when he rode in on that corner. When they put their leaves before him and said, Hosanna, King of Kings. They were hoping to keep the, the road to the palace and claim the throne. And he turned the other way. He says, I must first go to us before the throne. Has to happen. <laughs> you ever seen her Jerusalem donkey? If you go to a zoo, you look at a Jerusalem donkey. Now, I don't know if these are the same donkeys they had then, but all I know is it's called. But if you look at a Jerusalem donkey, you look at its back. If you'd be riding that donkey, you would see a black stripe running along the mane. You'd see a black stripe running from shoulder to shoulder. Every Jerusalem donkey has a cross on the back. So I could just picture, as they're putting down the leaves... Hosanna, King of Kings. Jesus looking down, saying, yeah, in time. First the cross. But I like that one. That wasn't the Messiah they wanted. They didn't want a suffering Messiah. Even though Isaiah 53 pointed out that he would be. They wanted a triumphant one. One that was going to take over the Roman armies. But that's not what happened. The Romans ultimately called out the judgment and put his accusation above his head, king of the Jews. It's all they could find. I guess this is why we're killing him. He's the king. It's true. 
because that was a step before the crown, the step before the throne. Amen? Christian, your hope is not something that you have to sit, I wonder what's going to happen with this suffering in my life. Your hope is a confident expectation that after you bear that cross, there is a crown. There is. So don't give it up for something here. <laughs> and the devil will put it right in front of your face and it'll make such perfect, reasonable sense for you to just stop fall, stop doing what God's asked you to do. It's just causing trouble in the family. It's just causing trouble here. But folks, if you give in, you give up the crown. See, if you're justified by faith, that's one of the blessings in tribulation. Amen.